If you want to, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be continuing. Uh, I did not finish, as I knew I wouldn't, uh, last week's message, so we get to finish it this week. Uh, this is a, a, a very interesting time of uh, Saul. Uh, as we can see, he, he first is called Paul here, um, confronting someone because he's bringing the gospel. And there's a guy he's uh, sharing the gospel with, the proconsul, and he's a, a very important person. But there's a false prophet who is trying to prevent his faith. Um, his name was... Um, uh, uh, Elias, I think, uh, let me, let me find it. Yeah. Elamus. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and so um, just to catch you up on where we are, we're picking up here again, where, uh, this guy is trying to prevent the proconsul from, uh, accepting Christ as his savior. So, uh, the title of this message is the not nice truth because Paul here says things that aren't very nice. Um, Vodibach, one of the guys I like to listen to, he's an incredible pastor. He says that the 11th commandment of the, uh, of the commandments is that uh, for the church, thou shalt be nice and it trumps all other ones. And that's how the church lives by, right? Thou shalt be nice, even at the cost of being honest or being truthful or saying things that, are need, that need to be said. Uh, and this is not at all what we see in the New Testament. So we're going to go here and actually... I'll say this. Uh, anybody, have your kids ever said something not nice to you? Anybody have kids? Because that should be a yes. Crockett told me the other day that I used to look like Peppa Pig's dad. <laughs> Thank you, son. It means so much to me. <laughs> Sometimes there are not nice things that should be said. In this passage, we'll read some not nice things that Saul, Paul says to someone because the gospel is infinitely more important than our feelings. So let's go to Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to start reading in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Anybody think that was a nice thing to say? So first I want to do this. Who in here heard the story that Saul got his name changed to Paul when Jesus saved him? That that was this transformation. Anybody ever grow up hearing that? Anybody thought that? Okay. Notice for the whole book of Acts, all the way up until chapter 13, he is called Saul, right? So his name changes here. Saul, who's also called Paul. This is the first time we hear him called Paul. Do you want to know why his name got changed to Paul? Saul is a Hebrew name. Paul was the Greek or Gentile way of saying it. So Paul, uh, he he started going by Paul because it was more familiar and easier for the Gentiles to say that he was called to minister to. Saul was willing to give up his name in order to reach the lost. Why are we unwilling to give up our seats? Why are we unwilling to give up our preferences? Why are we unwilling to give up so many things when Saul says, hey, I'll change my name if it will help me better reach lost people? Do you think we've missed something when other things become so important to us That we say, forget the people who don't know Christ. I want what I want. Thought that was interesting. So Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, is uh, about to say some mean things. 
You see, we're constantly, and the reason it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit is because we are constantly in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces. We see this in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you you may be able to withstand in, in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul tells us here in Ephesians very clear, we, clearly, we are in a very constant battle against spiritual forces because Satan desires nothing more than the the destruction of the church, the destruction of families. He does not want anyone to come to faith in Christ and he is constantly fighting that. And yet we pretend like we're not in battle, right? So often we walk out onto a battlefield with no armor on, no sword in our hands thinking I should be fine. And that is a silly thing to do, isn't it? Anybody just want to walk and uh, take a jog around on the battlefield while it's active? Anybody think, oh, this is fine. Let's just go take a, I'm doing my exercise. It's fine. I'm just jogging. Don't worry about me. Don't, don't chew me, please. That, that, that would be insane, right? Why do we do that spiritually? Why do we walk out into a battlefield thinking I should be fine? I'll just do the normal things I want to do and not put on God's armor that he gives me, not equip myself and not be prepared for the fact that there's a fight going on around me. We must equip ourselves. First Peter five, starting in verse six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm uh, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, comfort, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If we were in here and all of a sudden I opened up a back door and I let a lion in, who would sit here and just continue as if nothing was going on? We just see one. That would be, again, a very silly thing to do, right? What are we going to do if a lion walks in? Scream like little girls and run, right? Absolutely. We're, we're out of here. I'm, <laughs> hopefully I'd be brave enough to, t- to save my family. But the, the rest of you are on your own. <laughs> <laughs> Lions are scary, let's be honest. So here we have Peter saying, Satan is a lion prowling around right now. Why do we pretend like he's not here? Why do we live our spiritual lives thinking, I'm fine and I'm in no danger, when he is actively pursuing your destruction on a daily basis? And yet we 
get wrapped up in all the silliest things all day long. Things that have no eternal value are what consume and command our lives. And the things that do have eternal value mean this much to us. We walk out unarmored into battle and we pretend like a lion's not around. And then we, <laughs> then we have the audacity to wonder, why am I suffering? Why am I failing constantly? Why am I falling into the same trap over and over and over again? Because you're walking in a battlefield unarmored and you're pretending like a lion's not around. Men alone have no power to fight spiritual battles. But the Holy Spirit is infinitely powerful. And he will empower men to do what only he can. Stop pretending like we're not at war. And stop ignoring the lion in our midst. So Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, looks intently at Elymas. All right, I'm going to be honest. I think Paul's stare would have been scary, right? If you read Paul, he's a, he's, he's a bold guy, right? Remember, this is the guy who was all for murdering and imprisoning Christians, right? He's a tough dude. I think if he stared at you, you'd be like, I'm sorry, my bad. He is staring this man down. And the first thing he says is, you son of the devil. <laughs> Welcome to church. I love it. That's, this is amazing, right? That wasn't nice, was it? The Holy Spirit called Paul to boldly com, uh, condemn this man's sin. Not just to say, hey, you shouldn't do that. Hey, that's, that's not very, no, let me talk. His first words are, you son of the devil. Why do we not see this in church anymore? Why have we become so weak? We have become the church of the nice at the expense of being the church of Christ. And we've let niceness stop us from speaking truth that needs to be said. Next thing he says is you're the enemy of all righteousness. Elmas was an enemy of the faith. He was actively opposing someone trusting in Christ. As you get to know people inside of the church, you should ask this question. Does this person help me to look more like Christ? Or does time around this person bring me to more and more compromise? And that should help you decide who your close friend should be. Does this person make me look more like Jesus? Or do they cause me to want to desire more and more compromise in my life? Are they a benefit to your righteousness? Or are they an enemy of righteousness in your life? And he says you're full of deceit. This means to deceive someone by using trickery and falsehood. So just like his father, the devil, because Paul's already called him the son of the devil. Satan is still using false teachers to deceive the world and the church. Jesus condemns this very thing as well. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 39, they answered him. I like when Jesus is arguing with these people, especially the religious leaders, because he's talking about their lineage. They answered him, Abraham is our father. They thought that meant something, right? 
you, you need to understand, Jesus, we are sons of Abraham. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. So he says, listen, if you were the true sons of Abraham, you would believe me because I'm telling the truth and you wouldn't be seeking to kill somebody just because they tell you the truth. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are, the, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So again, this is Jesus. Paul here is talking to a guy who is a false prophet. So he's in the, this, this Jewish group, false prophet and all this stuff. Jesus is confronting the entire group of Jewish leaders that are talking to him. And he calls all of them sons of the devil because they cannot bear to hear the truth. Their goal is to silence the truth. Sometimes we try to silence truth because it hurts our feelings, doesn't it? But the truth is more important than our feelings. Next thing he told him, he, uh, he said that the enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and full of villainy. That word means to violate moral principles by acting in an unscrupulous manner. You see, false teachers won't just speak deceit. Their lives will be filled with sin. So again, let's talk about relationships we should be choosing. When you're choosing who to spend significant time with, you should judge their moral conduct because how they act will influence how you act as well. If you spend time around people who gossip, guess what you're going to start doing? Gossiping. If you spend time around people who bend the truth, guess what you're going to stop, start doing? Bending the truth. If you spend time around people who are constantly complaining, guess what you're going to start doing? Complain. And those are all things that God says are sin. So look at the people you're spending time around. If you don't want to act the way they're acting, you probably shouldn't spend significant time with them. Paul then goes on to say in this very not nice message, he says, will you not stop making crooked, crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Something I read recently, um, the book of Hosea, I love it so much. It's such a beautiful story of redemption. It's such a beautiful story that, uh, of, of God's desire to love unlovely people like me. But the very last verse of Hosea is in Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. 
For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. God's word is clear, and it is our authority on earth. If we walk in his word, we're not going to stumble. We're going to walk clear. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy, right? That path can be difficult. Sometimes it's uphill. Sometimes it's a a, a tough thing, but we can walk in the path of, of God's word. But if we say, if we disregard God's word, doing things our own way, we will stumble as though on the most winding and difficult path. So walking the same direction, if I'm walking in God's word, I can walk in this no matter how difficult it gets. The moment I say, my way's better. The way I like things, my pre- everything, about me, everything I want is much more important than what God wants. I will suddenly start stumbling with every step I take because it's not the way that God designed it. And he is the one that makes the rules, not us. Let's read verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will, uh, you will be blind and unable to see for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So Paul, first of all, <laughs> gives him this dialogue that's not nice. Son of the devil, full of uh, enemy of righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Then he says, because of what you've done, you're going to be blind. And we see this miracle. So it said, and the first thing he tells him is the hand of the Lord is going to be upon you. Normally you hear that phrase, you think it's going to be good, right? If you say, hey, the hand of God's going to be on you. You think, well, great. Unless you're a false teacher. Then when the hand of the Lord is on you, it is going to be his hand of punishment. And this is terrifying, isn't it? So he blinds this man for a time and he has to go about seeking people who will lead him by the hand. The irony is this. He misled countless people and he was trying his best to mislead this proconsul from accepting Christ. Now, instead of misleading people, he is having to be led by the hand because he's blind himself. Let's move on to this beautiful part. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That word believed, it means to believe in the good news about Jesus Christ and to become a follower of him. It's from the, uh, the root Greek word pistos, which means faith. He put his faith in Christ, believing who he is and trusting his ability to save. This man says, I want that Jesus to save me. He says he does this when he saw. Faith does not seem to come easy to some people. But the spirit will draw some to faith by seeing your faith on display. Did you know that? That some people can, what they need to see is a Christian, a church person, actually look like a Christian. Do you know what the greatest obstacle to faith for a lot of people is church people because some church people are mean are slanderous are difficult and you'll see a lost person say I don't want nothing to do with that anybody ever heard that before anybody ever experienced that before we have to be the opposite of that church The world needs to see Christ in us. 
that they can see Christ himself. We have got to choose to look like him, to let the Holy Spirit bring fruit out of our lives because we live in a community that is dying without knowing him. It says he was astonished. This means to be so amazed as to be practically overwhelmed. What was he astonished by? The miraculous blinding of an enemy of the spirit? The boldness of Paul to be so mean? Nope. He was astonished by the teaching of the Lord. God's word is the most important and vital thing for Christians and churches. I'm going to read a bunch of passages right now. So just if you want to take some notes on writing them down, but we're going to read why the word is so important. John 1, starting in verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the word. The word is vital. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for goodness? Study the word. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now I'm going to read, if you, would, if you want some study this week, read all of Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it is all about the, the uh, value of God's word. But I'm going to read some specific verses here. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 17 and 18, deal bountifully for, with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold your wondrous things out of your law. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. 74, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. 130, the unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. If you're simple like me, you need the word. 161, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. 169 and 170, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. 172, my tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Nothing else can do what God's word does. So why do we seek to replace it with other stuff? Why do we replace God's words with our opinions? Why would we replace God's words 
with our preferences, with our traditions? Why do we stand so strongly on the things that we just feel and stand so weakly on the word of God? Only God's word can do what it says it does. Nothing else can. Do you want to see the people in your life come to know Christ as their savior? Study his word. Live out his word. And they will see Christ in you. If you want to see them never want to be a part of this faith. Then continue living as if you believe in Christ while looking nothing like him. Because that's the greatest obstacle anyone can face. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? My first question is this. Maybe you're here today and you've thought, you've tried to seek this out. You've tried to figure out faith. You're trying to figure these things out. Maybe somebody has hurt you in the church before and you've never wanted to be a part of it again. And you're trying for the first time to come back and say, I want to know what this is about. Maybe you've believed you're somebody that Christ can't save. And I want you to know something. There's no such thing as someone that Jesus can't save. So will you place your faith in Christ today, just like this man did in this passage, believing in who he is, who he said he is? My second question is this. For those of you who already know Christ, do you know the word? Do you study it? Because if you don't know God's word, you could be so easily deceived by false teachers. Or even worse, you could be a false teacher yourself without even knowing it. Next, what are you willing to give up in the mission of spreading the gospel? Saul was willing to give up his very name in order to spread the gospel to the Greeks. Is there anything you haven't been willing to give up? Will you repent of that being an idol in your life? Are you armoring yourself for battle every single day, knowing that there's a lion in our midst that seeks to devour and destroy us? And last question, are you willing to boldly condemn anything that would hinder the mission of the church? Even if it comes from your friend, even if it comes from yourself, will you condemn all that would stop the mission of God to save the lost? Jesus, help us to be a church, not full of weak people who are committed to the idol of niceness so that we can receive praise, but be a church that's full of people that are strongly dedicated to your truth. Even when it's not desired to be heard, that we'd stand strongly on your word. We'd study it and know it so we can't be deceived and that we would be committed to bring the gospel to the lost. Help us to be a church that points others to you. We love you so much, Christ. In your name I pray, amen. Please stay and respond however God leads you.